welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. Well, this week there was big news as the coronavirus vaccines rolled out as Operation Warp Speed delivered on its promise that there would be a vaccine by the end of the year beginning to be distributed in the continental United States. President Trump made that promise. Many in the liberal uh, left media ridiculed him and said how outrageous and impossible that was to achieve. Yet, through Operation Warp Speed, it was able to be conducted. In fact, we're going to go to a news briefing from the Pentagon. Uh, That's Army General Gus Perna, Chief Operating Officer of Operation Warp Speed, briefed the media on Monday of the COVID-19 vaccine distribution, and he did this in Washington, D.C. Let's take a listen. Well, hello, everyone, and uh, thank you for joining us for this distribution update today. We face very challenging trends around the country as the virus continues to spread with hospitalizations and deaths near or at record highs in many places and still rising. But today we have hope on the way. Supplies of an FDA-authorized safe and effective COVID-19 vaccine are arriving at sites across America. Vaccinations begin today as soon as healthcare workers are ready to start providing them. America is one of the very first countries to roll out a safe and effective vaccine for this virus, and America has played a greater role than any other in getting the world to this point. President Trump's Operation Warp Speed has helped bring us a medical miracle. Substantial quantities of a safe and effective vaccine within a year after the virus was first known to the world. I want to thank the President for his bold vision, for his unwavering support of Operation Warp Speed, and for bringing together all of America, HHS, the military, the private sector, and the states to make this happen. This week, everyone's work starts to pay off. This weekend, shipment of vaccines is 2.9 million doses, enough to vaccinate 2.9 million people. With 2.9 million doses held back and sent in 21 days for people to receive their second dose. Each Friday from here on out, we will announce new weekly allocations of vaccine. It's likely that another vaccine may be authorized in the coming days if it meets FDA's rigorous standards. Pending the successful authorization of other vaccine options, We have enough vaccines already purchased to ensure we can meet our goal of vaccinating every American who wants it by the end of the second quarter of 2021. We continue to negotiate for and purchase more doses too, including the announcement of another 100 million doses of Moderna to be delivered in the second quarter of 2021. States and other jurisdictions have decided who will be vaccinated in the early stages, drawing on their own best judgment their own situation and the recommendations of experts. These jurisdictions will generally be using these first doses to immunize frontline healthcare workers along with residents of long-term care facilities like nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Today, the CDC distributed another $140 million in funding to states to continue planning efforts around allocation. Operation Warp Speed is taking care of the cost of the vaccines themselves the ancillary supplies like needles and syringes, and the cost of distributing the vaccines to jurisdictions. While healthcare payers are handling administration costs, so no American faces an out-of-pocket expense for this vaccine. 
Well, that's uh, the news that came out on Monday, and of course, uh, the vaccine is being distributed across the country. And of course, here in Northeast Ohio and throughout Ohio, we're on uh, very high levels of infection of coronavirus, and some of our nursing homes have been hit very hard. In fact, the nursing home where my mother was, uh, it ran through there in a space of 15 days. It went from just a few patients to over 100. Uh, my mom did not survive. She passed away uh, 10 days ago, and uh, of course, we thank you all for your condolences. Uh, mom was 91. I'm not sure she died of COVID-19, but certainly it weakened her. And even as I speak to you, I was tested today for COVID-19. We're doing this virtual through the phone line, so nobody's exposed, either the board op or our guest that's about to come on. Uh, but I've had all the symptoms over the last six days. So obviously, the virus is out there. And then it's, uh, as you heard, for every American who wants it, meaning it's optional. Let's talk about vaccinations, because in the pro-life community, one of the concerns we had from beginning was how were these vaccinations going to be uh, developed. And uh, one of our watchdogs in Washington, a man we've known for many years and has come to Ohio on many occasions to testify on behalf of uh, protecting the unborn and uh, defending life is Dr. David Prentice. He is vice president, research director of the Charlotte Institute uh, in Washington, D.C. Doctor, welcome to the program. Thanks, Chris. Good to be with you. Well, good to be with you, and I hope that... Let me ask you just out. Did you have COVID this last year, or have you dodged the bullet? Uh, we've dodged it so far. Of course, we're staying pretty close to home. Uh, get out, maybe go to the grocery store and, and drive through a drive through uh, food place, and, and that's been pretty much it. We're trying to be very cautious and and keep physical distance and so on, but it's, it's tough, and uh, I know people who have had it, uh, I know some people who have passed because of COVID, and yes. so it's a serious uh, situation. And we're we're we've been looking forward to these vaccines to roll off uh, so that people can start to get some relief. Well, that's right, and of course, uh, you know the the president made these projections, and people thought that they were ridiculous because normally. <laughs> How long does it take, doctor, to get these kinds of vaccinations approved normally through the process through the FDA? Normally, this would take nine or ten years. Oh, Lord. But uh, what we've seen is that at President Trump's direction, this has taken nine or ten months. Well, that's right. And that's why the announcement came from the Pentagon, because he actually enacted the WARS Act. Uh, and fighting COVID-19 across the country, as indeed it was an invasion of this virus that came from China. Now, there's no dispute about that, Wuhan, China, yeah. and the, and the uh, bio uh, lab there, how it got out, how it was distributed, that's still under speculation. But nevertheless, uh, he quit the travel from uh, uh, coming to the United States. He took the precautions that he could, but it seemed as if it was already here, some say as early as November of 2019, uh, that it may have been already distributed here in this country just by way of those who traffic, uh, travel back and forth from Asia to the United States. And there are people that I've talked to that said they remembered getting sick in December and certainly January, and they think that they had COVID, but uh, the testing wasn't available then, so they'll never know. But uh, certainly, this is one in which now we're getting in the second wave, and it seems as if here in Ohio we're getting hit hard with the second wave for sure. Yeah, I think there are, there are a number of places that 
you sort of had a first wave, especially in places where they had a lot of travel from out of state and out of country and, you know, high population areas where, you know, of course, people are crowded together and so on, and they're passing the virus. Well, you know, that kind of passed a little bit, but now you've got, again, it's passing through, uh, I'm sure, because of, of people traveling again and, and congregating and so on. But, you know, we need an effective vaccine, several effective vaccines, and it looks like uh, this is all starting to bear fruit. And again, uh, like you already said, a lot of people were naysayers. Oh, you can never get a vaccine that quick. Oh, this won't happen. And you know, President Trump was right, though. And and part of that is due to new technology, and, and part of that just some some canny leadership in terms of pushing this forward. One of the concerns, of course, in the pro-life community was that aborted uh, uh, stem lines would not be used in research or development to uh, pursue a vaccination. Uh, Not because you stop and think about that for me. It's like, well, why would that be used? Because some in the medical community see that as an option for research. Uh, But you're an ethicist that uh, obviously is a watchdog on these things in Washington your organization has been out there on the front end. Tell us a little bit about that, what's gone on these many months in that discussion. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it has been a concern all along. I mean, if you look back, there are still some, it's, it's a dwindling number, but still 9 out of 58 FDA-licensed vaccines against viral diseases that make use of aborted fetal cell lines to grow the virus to make the vaccine. And it's not, it's not fresh aborted tissue. In other words, it's not uh, like your viewers or your listeners have probably seen the, the videos that David Daleiden did, uh, the undercover journalism that exposed all of the buying, selling, and trafficking of aborted baby body parts. Uh, it's not that. These are cells that there was an abortion. And it was decades ago, and some of those cells were put into the Petri dish, and they've been growing ever since. But, of course, you can trace that line ethically straight back to that abortion. So there's distance in in time and space, but there's still an ethical thread there. And, And people might go, so why do they use those at all? Well, for viruses, you have to grow them in cells if you want whole virus back out. And and that's been the only way to make a viral vaccine for many years until recently is you put the virus into that dish of cells, the virus multiplies and grows in the cells just like it might in our body in an infection. You break open those cells to harvest a bunch of virus out, you kill it or weaken it, and whole virus then killed or weakened is what goes into my arm. Well, one of the advantages uh, that the Warp Speed program was able to use is there are now five ways to make virus vaccines. And the four newer ways are kind of some some new technology, if you will. Uh, And Pfizer and Moderna, the two leading ones, the one that's already approved and Moderna will most likely be approved within just a few days now, use a technology called mRNA. 
messenger RNA. It's a little recipe, a genetic recipe, that is a recipe how to make a protein. And what protein are they going to make? Well, if your your listeners have seen those uh, diagrams they show of the coronavirus, they've got all those little spiky knobs on the outside. That's called the spike protein. It's the protein that the virus uses to attach to and infect the cells in our body. Now, if I'm an immune cell, though, in my body, what am I going to be looking for? How do I recognize that virus? I look at that spike protein. It's kind of the face on the wanted poster that our immune cells are going to look for. And so what Pfizer and Moderna and, frankly, a number of other companies have done is they took just the recipe for that protein. It's not the whole entire virus like we used to make. Instead, you just make this little genetic recipe. You actually design it on the computer, and then you can make this little snippet of information in the test tube in the lab. You put it in what's called a lipid particle, which is a fancy way to say a small oil droplet, and that protects it and then also helps it to merge with our cells. And so you get that injection into my uh, muscle and my arm. That little snippet, that recipe for that spike protein goes into my cells, and my cells make the virus protein and then show it to my immune system. Again, show that wanted poster face, and my immune cells start to make antibodies. Well, because you're only doing this for the one protein instead of trying to grow a whole virus, and because you can design this on the computer and make that little snippet in the lab without any cells being used, it's a lot faster to be able to do that kind of a a vaccine. And as I've said, you don't use any cells to make this particular type of vaccine. It's cell-free, using some enzymes in the test tube in the lab, and so you're not using those abortion-derived cells to make this kind of vaccine. You don't have to worry about any leftover bits of fetal cell or, or any ethical connection when it goes into my arm. Doctor, as we've been uh, discussing these issues now for a number of years and defending uh, you know, uh, the life in the womb and, of course, uh, you know, protecting, uh, obviously, the, the unborn innocent and then, of course, with research, uh, that making sure that uh, research conducted in this country is along those ethical lines. Uh, the discussions on Capitol Hill during this time when there was a rush to get a vaccination, what kind of debate went on among the members uh, on both sides of the aisle in regards to this when Lozier Institute would make its its objections known or its concerns known about using aborted lines for development of vaccinations, that it wasn't necessary, right. in other words. And it's totally not necessary, and I think that's the main point. There are ethical ways, ethical cell types, as well as ethical techniques that don't even use cells, as we've talked about. Uh, so you don't have to use these abortion-derived cells. But, you know, we, we sort of got a mixed reaction when you would talk about that or you would talk about using the the aborted baby body parts or about using adult stem cells versus embryonic stem cells that you can probably guess what kind of reaction we would get if we were talking to uh, conservatives 
versus liberals. The, the conservatives were happy to go towards the alternatives, if you will, the ethically derived tissues and cells and so on, whereas most of the liberals we tried to bring this up to uh, really didn't see any problem with that. Let's just keep going ahead. Let's keep uh, trafficking in tissues from abortion. You know, in terms of that, again, something that President Trump and his administration did uh, over a year ago, they stopped funding, federal funding, uh, with our taxpayer dollars of most of the research that relied on those aborted baby body parts. And then they they said, we're even going to start cutting off the grants to universities that want to continue that kind of research. And you heard all of these claims that it was absolutely essential to use aborted baby body parts and fetal cells and so on to do the research or to make vaccines or to do all these various investigations. We kept talking to them about the ethical science, though, which is actually better, and you can provide lots and lots of proofs of that. And so that has been moving forward, whereas they're slowly starting to to open their eyes and cut off federal taxpayer money for uh, this research that uses this horrific process uh, and tissue. We're talking with Dr. David Prentice. He is vice president and research director for the Charlotte Lozier Institute in Washington, D.C., and, of course, that's a pro-life organization. Doctor, of course, we've seen over the last four years so many pro-life gains uh, because of President Trump and conservatives in Washington and the administration has been very favorable to our cause. Um, that You know, when we think about what you just stated and uh, defunding of Planned Parenthood, uh, defunding these grants that were going to these universities. You and I go back, I was just thinking of how long yeah. we've known each other. I think it's like 17 years, going back to 2003 here in Ohio when we were fighting against embryonic stem cell research here in the Ohio State House, And then, of course, banning animal-human hybrid and, uh, animal and, and human cloning. And we made those arguments here, and of course, Ohio has a number of research facilities, Ohio State University, Cincinnati Children's, by Ohio, a lot of them, you know, Case Western, they all came in and and opposed us in our efforts, and uh, because they were conducting embryonic stem cell research at some level, or at least wanted to leave the door open to do so, they didn't want to, it to be dis, uh, restricted in any way. Well, we made our our case uh, over the years. We weren't able to get legislation over the final finish line, but I do believe it had a positive impact from what we're told. Many of them. Many of them did not pursue it because of the negative publicity of all that we did uh, with the uh, legislation at the state house and the publicity of each time that you came to Ohio. Then, on the national level, you've been um, and internationally, of course, you've been uh, championing the cause. We really appreciate your work. How do you see things going now? What's our next level of battle on this front uh, in the next months and a few years now? Well, I mean, one. One battle is definitely going to be at the federal level. Uh, your listeners might have heard that uh, Mr. Biden has decided that, uh, assuming that he takes office, that he will nominate Javier Becerra, uh, current Attorney General of California, as his HHS secretary. It, Mr. Becerra has never 
been a friend of pro-lifers. As a congressman, he voted in favor of, in favor of, let me emphasize that, partial birth abortion. Oh, Lord. As California Attorney General, he has persecuted, not prosecuted, but persecuted citizen journalist David Daleiden when David was exposing uh, this fetal tissue buying, selling, and trafficking of baby body parts with Planned Parenthood. He tried to force pro-life pregnancy centers in California to advertise and refer for abortion, a case that he lost at the Supreme Court where they deemed that unconstitutional. He's tried to force doctors and and nurses uh, against their conscience to participate in abortions. I mean, there's going to be a tremendous fight here. He is simply unacceptable as an HHS secretary if it finally comes to that. Uh, I think we've got some openings, though, out in the state to continue to put forth a pro-life agenda, uh, to continue to close down in terms of abortions, like uh, Ohio, for example, has passed their law to stop discrimination abortions uh, for kids with Down syndrome and other kinds of conditions. Uh, We can continue to push forward in terms of pushing back uh, against all of these abortion clinics and putting in more pro-life policies. So I think there's some opportunities, but there will certainly be challenges ahead. Doctor, before we let you go, I want to ask one more question about the vaccinations that are currently in circulation distribution. Uh, Mm -hmm. the, The one that Pfizer has... It's not derived then from aborted lines? No, Pfizer is not. Moderna is not. Now, a couple of others coming up are AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson are made using aborted fetal cells. But Pfizer and Moderna are produced without any contact or any use of aborted fetal cells. You can see this information also on the Lozier Institute website and learn more about Dr. Prentice's work and the fine work of the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Again, that, that is LozierInstitute.org. Well, Doctor, thank you so much for being my guest today. This has been very helpful. Um, how can folks follow you more closely then? I think, uh, as you've just said, go to LozierInstitute.org. Our website has uh, a big thing on the front page about what you need to know about COVID-19 vaccines, but a host of other material in terms of the life issues. The Charlotte Lozier Institute's motto is science and statistics for life. So we're going to keep trying to provide all of the true information for you. Thank you, doctor. We appreciate you coming on today. All right. Thanks, Chris. God bless. God bless you. Again, that's Dr. David Prentice with the Lozier Institute. And you can check out their website at LozierInstitute.org. Again, that's the Charlotte Lozier Institute at LozierInstitute.org. Well, stay with us on the other side. We're going to listen to Bill Fetter as he's going to talk about his new book on socialism. And so uh, we hope that you stay tuned for that. If you want to learn more about our organization, always visit us at our website at OhioCA.org or just search Ohio Christian Alliance. Thanks for listening. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor 
a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue the following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. Well, at the time of this recording of this interview, we are reporting, of course, that uh, the presidential election is yet to be determined. Uh, we're doing this on Wednesday, but it will air on Thursday and through the weekend. But the news that's breaking, of course, is that uh, uh, right now they've called Michigan. Uh, the, actually, the Trump campaign has called for the halting of counting in Michigan. Uh, in Wisconsin, the Trump campaign has called for a recount because the narrow a uh, margin there, a victory for Joe Biden, and there are 400,000 ballots yet to count in Arizona, and Nevada is very close. So what do we have here? We have an undecided presidential election, and of course uh, that would be fitting for 2020 as we have come down to the wire. This is a time for us to pray as a country. This is a time for us to pray as Christians to be in a continuance of prayer. Well, later in this program, we're going to be talking to Dave Barton on the other side, and he's going to be talking about uh, the 1619 Project. We're going to be giving you an announcement about the D-Day Prayer Project, which, of course, is adding FDR's D-Day Prayer at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C., and you don't want to miss that. But with us on the phone is Bill Fetter. We're going to be talking about Bill's new book on socialism and what have we seen this year with uh, violence exploding on the streets of America, with rioting and protest all across the land in, in cities across America, including here in Ohio, in Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. Uh, we have seen destruction of uh, property in our inner cities, and we have seen rioting and looting. Uh, Columbus is still boarded up. 
Uh, that's the home of our state capitol. And unfortunately, one of the uh, men who have been bringing people to account, uh, Ron O'Brien, he's a county prosecutor, a Republican who's served for 24 years, uh, he lost his race. And so in a blue wave in Franklin County, and now it's anybody's bet as to what uh, is going to happen with the 22 people that have been indicted on uh, crimes of uh, destruction and personal uh, you know, property there in Columbus. So uh, it remains to be seen. We've got a real problem where our state government is seated in Columbus, which has been a scene of anarchy earlier this summer. And uh, thankfully, there was no riots this week or any protests that got out of hand. But uh, we have seen this time and again across the country, and uh, these folks claim to be socialists, whether it's Black Lives Matter, a radical socialist group, or Antifa, uh, which is a militant group. And uh, people are beginning to see and become alarmed by what they see in absolute anarchy in our streets. Here to talk about his new book is our good friend Bill Fetter of the American Minute. Uh, Bill, welcome to the program. Chris, great to be with you. Well, thank you, Bill. Uh, yeah, this book that you've written on socialism is really taking off. Tell us about the premise of the book. Right. So I go back to Plato, and he talks about democracy being the most charming form of government, and their chief characteristic of a democracy is tolerance. Everyone tolerates each other. Then they tolerate people that are a little bit off. Then they tolerate people that are a lot off. So finally, they're tolerating crooks and crime and fraud and broad daylight looting, and nobody does anything about it. And it begins to turn into chaos, and then they begin to say, can't someone come along and fix this mess? That's when some governor comes along and says, I can fix it. I just need some emergency powers. And this person, at first, they're all smiles, but then they begin to uh, go after anybody that resists them till finally they stand in the chariot of state holding the reins of power and they're revealed as the tyrant. So democracy without morals and virtue ends in chaos out of which a tyrant usurps power. And this model has been seen over and over again. And so we can even look at in the Bible. Uh, Israel was a republic when they first came out of Egypt. Remember before King Saul, they they didn't have a king, except for one brief period. Gideon had an illegitimate son named Abimelech, and he goes to the town of Shechem, and he does race politics, identity politics. And he says, why should the sons of Gideon reign over you? I'm your flesh and your bone. And so his brethren went to the people and says, look, he is our brother. And so instead of you know, uh, uniting together to fight some invading army, Abimelech sowed discord within Israel, and he goes to the temple of Balbarith and takes 70 pieces of silver to hire vain and worthless persons, rioters, like Antipha-type people, to go and commit violence and murder all his half-brothers of his other sons of Gideon. And then Abimelech makes himself king, rules for three years, until somebody throws a millstone off the wall, hits him on the head. But it was this idea that the same way in Athens, when there is chaos, you have a, a tyrant usurp power. And Abimelech's model was, let's create chaos and then seize power. And uh, then we can fast forward to uh, Athens. A few you know, years later, what happened was uh, uh, Philip of Macedon. He was the father of Alexander the Great. And uh, he uh, went and 
captured the gold mines of Amphipolis and took gold and bribed some citizens of Athens to betray their own city. And they, when the citizens of Athens would get together and say, we need to defend our city, these paid traders would stand up and say, wait a second, uh, let's not get carried away. I hear um, Philip's not such a bad guy, uh, that he's not lib- conquering cities, he's liberating them. And, and these people who are paid traders would gather around themselves useful idiots, people that actually believe their lies. And it so confused Athens that when Philip marched up to the walls, they could not mount a unified defense. And someone throws open the doors and Philip comes in and takes over. And so it's this idea that if someone on the outside, instead of just taking money from the temple of Baal Barith to hire vain and worthless persons, uh, Philip of Macedon took gold and found some vain and worthless persons on the inside of Athens that he could buy and create this disunity, this discord in Athens so they couldn't mount a defense. So uh, we begin to see a pattern here. and. Um, Anyway, uh, we can uh, fast forward to uh, Italy in the 1500s, and it was a bunch of city-states, Venice, Genoa, Naples, Florence, and they all had armies and fought. And Machiavelli thought if one prince could control all of Italy, it would stop the infighting. So he writes a book called The Prince, where he advocates the ends justifies the means. The end of one prince controlling all of Italy is such a good end that any means necessary to get there is justified. Lie, cheat, steal. So if a prince conquers a city, the people of the city would hate him. But if the prince pays criminals ahead of time, vain and worthless persons, looters, traitors, to uh, cause violence in the city, smash windows and set things on fire, the people would cry out for help. And the prince will come in and get rid of the very people he bribed, nobody would know the better for it, and everyone would praise the prince as a hero. So it's good marketing. You create the need and fill it. You go around the back of the house, set it on fire, and then you go around the front of the house and sell them a fire extinguisher. And they'll pay anything for it and even thank you for being there. So this is where you intentionally want to create discord. You intentionally want to create chaos. And then when the people panic, you can usurp power. So this is called Machiavellianism, where you create or capitalize on a crisis to consolidate control. And you have heard it more recently worded, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. It's an opportunity to do those things that you think you could not do before. Uh, Rahm Emanuel's quote, and of course Hillary Clinton copied him. She said, the chief of staff for President Obama uh, said, you know, never waste a good crisis. So you and I see a crisis, and our response is, how can we help people through it? They see a crisis, and their response is, how can we usurp power? Well, and that's so right. And your book you talks have, about how, how the deep state capitalizes on crisis to consolidate control. When we look at the crisis that has happened in America across the country, obviously with the George Floyd video was the spark that uh, these protests seemingly out of nowhere broke out in cities across America. But there are those who argue, even in the African-American community. I talked to a pastor friend of mine, uh, John Coates in Columbus, and he said this so-called peaceful protest in Columbus was well-organized ahead of time, and it was meant to be violent. 
He said, I went down there and saw it myself because I learned about it on the news. And don't you think a, an elected official of the NAACP of Ohio would have known about a uh, gathering for community policing discussion? No. He said, this uh, riot that broke out on May 28th, a few days after the George Floyd video that happened in uh, Minnesota, uh, translates down to Columbus, Ohio. And uh, basically, he said, I saw pallets with bricks on them. I saw boards with nails. I saw frozen water bottles. He said, this wasn't spontaneous. He said, this was by design. And of course, downtown Columbus, Ohio, uh, uh, Bill, is still all boarded up. And I'm talking about the pristine buildings, uh, and you couldn't even buy a sandwich. They called it a food desert for a while. We're not talking about a ghetto area, but it became a ghetto area after that uh, literally several thousand protesters started breaking out every window, rushing into buildings, uh, into condominium units, scaring the people. They actually had to dispatch SWAT teams. We had the county prosecutor on our program talking about the very serious programs, uh, uh, I'm sorry, serious crimes that were committed. Uh, people's uh, housing units, the protester says, we're going to set it on fire with you in it. This is the kind of alarming anarchism that took place in the streets right here in Ohio earlier this summer. And one has to ask, if this is the basis of the Marxist socialist uh, movement, where is this going if they use violence to as an end to means to get what they want? Right. Whatever they'll do to get in power, they'll be willing to do to stay in power. And um, so uh, I go through the French Revolution in the book and how they had all this crisis and uh, liberté, equalité, fraternité. Fraternité was their word for socialism, the fraternity, the group, the collective. And equality can be understood two ways. In America, it was equal treatment before the law. In France, it was everyone having an equal amount of stuff. And if the fraternité, the state, thinks you have too much stuff, it can use the power of the state to take away your stuff and kill you. Well, and they chopped off 40,000 heads in Paris and so forth. Um, but let's fast forward. You have um, uh, Hitler. He's, in the 1920s, Germany was a republic, uh, a representative government. Uh, it was called the Weimar Republic. And Hitler started a political party called the National Socialist Workers' Party. That's what Nazi stands for, National Socialist Workers' Party. And he had a violent branch to it. It was sort of a BLM Antifa type branch. It was called the Brown Shirts. And they were nicknamed stormtroopers because they would storm into the meetings of Hitler's opponents and shout down the speakers, disrupt the meeting. The uh, brown we've shirts seen, we've seen that. Arms. We've seen that over the last half decade in colleges and universities where conservative speakers and Christian speakers come to speak at the universities and they storm these meetings and shout at them and they shut them down and they're not even able to continue with their uh, program. We're seeing this today, Bill. Right. And so then these brown shirts would lock arms and block access to buildings and block streets. Could you imagine people locking arms and blocking streets? And then the brown shirts went into the cities and smashed windows, looted and set on fire over 7,000 Jewish stores on the night of broken glass, crystal knocked. And then their capital got set on fire. And in the confusion, Hitler seizes power and rounds up all of his political enemies and has them shot without a trial. And when the dust settles, Germany has transitioned from the people ruling themselves bottom-up to Hitler ruling top-down. 
And so the same idea of Machiavelli creating a crisis, uh, Abimelech hiring vain and worthless persons to create division and discord, uh, you know, Philip of Macedon hiring people to, to create discord inside of Athens. And so this model is seen over and over again. But now after World War II, uh, Germany has to give up its former territories, and so does Britain, and so does France. And so they form brand new countries, uh, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Poland, Romania. These brand new countries have brand new leaders, and they're trying to climb out of the post-war you know, problems. And then the Soviet Union decides it doesn't just want communism running the Soviet Union. Of course, the Soviet Union stands for what? Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. That's what USSR stands for, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. So the USSR sends KGB agents into these brand new countries, and they identify groups with grievances, whether it's racial or ethnic Bosnian Serbs, Croats, whether it's economic, whether it's religious, they really didn't care. Their goal was to identify groups and break them into victims and oppressors, haves and have-nots. And then they would organize protests, that they would escalate into riots, and then they would smash buildings, set things on fire. And then they would co-opt the media with bribes and threats to blame the leader of the country for all the problems. They would even release false polling data ahead of the election to show the popular leader as unpopular so that when they did their voter fraud and rigged election, nobody would argue with it. And then they had found weak links in the military. And when the country got panicky enough, they had someone in the military go in and uh, replace the leader and they would install a Soviet puppet. And the dust would settle, the violence would stop temporarily. And then they realized they just gave up their free country and now they're ruled under the thumb by a dictatorship uh, from the Soviet Union. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe, on D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue we're talking and, with um, Bill Fetter. He is the author of Socialism, the real story from Plato to the present, how the deep state capitalizes on crisis to consolidate control. And uh, you can actually obtain the book and uh, follow Bill and all of his writings at AmericanMinute.com. That's American 
www.socialismminute.com. Bill, as you're talking about these points in history, about socialism, about communism, and of course we know that it's left in its wake throughout history, a trail of uh, atrocity and of course a genocide. And so, the, you know, these young people that are glomming on to socialism and uh, a sense of fairness and uh, social justice right now, even in Christian churches, I might say. In fact, we've had calls into our office from young pastors who are concerned about the church movements that they're in, glomming onto these social justice movements in their church, and they're uh, distributing uh, uh, basically uh, black liberation theology, which is an anathema to the Christian orthodoxy, materials and booklets. This is happening right here, folks, in Northeast Ohio. This is happening in uh, Akron and Cleveland in, uh, in Ohio. And uh, folks, that our young people have been uh, indoctrinated uh, by these things. And so this book is really blowing the lid on it. And, Bill, what you're saying, it sounds like today's history. We're talking about voter fraud taking place. Uh, there's going to be legal battles for this presidential election. Uh, you know, we're seeing where the media and, and tech giants and uh, the radical uh, left is against the president and against the Christian right. And uh, we're seeing this happen and play out right now in front of our very eyes. And, of course, uh, for the first time, all police unions have supported President Trump for re-election uh, because they're the ones on the front lines of this anarchy, and uh, the prosecutors in these liberal cities won't even bring these people to justice who are committing terrible crimes. And so the uh, law enforcement, men and women in blue, are the ones who are actually facing the brunt and are between us and absolute anarchy and terror. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there's people not waking up to what's happening in this country. This book on socialism, Bill, that you have written is really taking off, and you've taken your uh, his history uh, experience and you've put it into this book, and it is really one for the times. Again, the book is Socialism, the Real History from Plato to the Present, How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crisis to Consolidate and Control. Uh, Bill, just some other thoughts here about the book as you were talking, uh, coming out of the different uh, uh, time periods of Nazis and, of course, uh, the USSR and communism. And we've even seen in Venezuela and other places, everywhere socialism reigns, it brings despair and uh, it brings tyranny to people, and, and it's a terrible situation. Right. Uh, so, so just to um, address, uh, people say, well, the church, isn't it socialist? They all you know, sold their property, and they brought the money to the feet of who? Uh, the apostles. Oh, okay, so they voluntarily sold their property, and they voluntarily brought their money to the church. And when the church helps people, it wants the people to get out of their rut so they can help the next person along. They did not have their land forcibly taken away, and they were forced to put their money at the feet of Pilate. So people want to say, oh, the, the early church, yeah, it was voluntary, and it was through the church. It was not forcibly, and it was not through the government. They didn't sell their property, bring the money to the feet of Pilate. Uh, it was to the feet of the apostles. It's not the government. But God gives commands to five groups, individuals, families, employer, employees, church, and government. Uh, there are commands for individuals to help take care of the poor. Uh, there's no commands for the family to take care of the stranger, the poor. The commands for the family, your husbands love your wives, children submit to your parents. The commands for the employer, employees, do an honest day's work and don't hold back the wages. Uh, there are commands for the church to take care of the poor, and historically the church has and started orphanages and hospitals and medical clinics. There's no command for the government to take care of the poor. 
The command of the government's the shortest. Protect the innocent, punish the guilty. There's no command for the government to be involved in healthcare or education or anything. Just protect the innocent and punish the guilty. What's happened is the government has been usurping the church's role. And, and so, yeah, if you want to have the people being taken care of, have them be taken care of through the church, because then they develop a relationship, they get to hear the gospel and so forth, not through the government. Why? Because when people uh, are in any program administered by the government is administered by people who want to keep their jobs. And so their temptation is to administer it in a discretionary way where they funnel benefits to those who can vote them back in office and they want to take away benefits and tax and regulate those that challenge and want to reduce the size of government. And plus, whoever is the recipient, uh, after a while of receiving free stuff, they end up having a low self-esteem and they channel that negative feeling toward the, the group that's making them feel negative. In other words, the very government that's giving them money, they end up hating. Isn't that interesting? But back to the uh, World War II ends, and then we have the, the KGB going into countries, and then Truman does nothing. Eisenhower is the next president, and he's faced with Britain. Um, it, Britain had no oil. In 1908, Britain formed the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. Uh, you know it better as BP. British Petroleum is really the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. And so... Um, after World War II, Iran decides to side with the Soviet Union and nationalize their oil. And so Britain goes to Eisenhower saying, help. So Eisenhower approves the first CIA operation to overthrow a country's leader. It's called Operation Ajax. And the CIA operative on the ground is Kermit Roosevelt Jr., the grandson of Teddy Roosevelt. And what does he do? The same thing. He recruits uh, gangsters and mobsters. They organize riots and, the, and they you know, attack mosques and they co-opt the media to blame the leader of Iran, Mossadegh, and when the country gets panicky enough, they do a coup and install the Shah. And this is called the Cold War. And it was happening with the KGB and the CIA all around the world. The only difference this time around is it's happening on American soil. What is happening with the intentional stirring up and the rioting and the crises? It has all the fingerprints of being an orchestrated event. And we already know there's deep state people in the CIA and the Department of Justice that do not like the president. They've been trying for four years to get rid of them. Uh, the question is, have they been using their positions to help this thing along? Um, that's the, the, the question. But the, the well, book well, that right, I put right, together... We're running out of time, Bill. That, that's a great question and one in which Christians, we need to be praying. And right now, as this presidential election is still uh, undecided and uh, we're praying for God's direction for our country, again, the book is so AmericanMinute.com is the website. American, AmericanMinute.com. Uh, is where you can get socialism, the real story, uh, the real history from Plato to the present, how the deep state capitalized on crisis to consolidate control. Bill Fetter, thank you so much. Bill, we're going to have you back on and talk about the great news of the D-Day Prayer Project. And, uh, of course, we're, we're rejoicing. We're going to be talking with that with uh, uh, Dave Barton. But, uh, Bill, I'm going to have you back on for a special segment to talk about that. God bless you, my friend. Bless you. Thank you. Again, the, the website is AmericanMinute.com. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. 
That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.